Caitlin Dubin, the host of the Rural Woman Podcast, and Bev Ross, host of the Joy Farmer Podcast, have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media. Positively Farming Media is a podcast hub that connects and cultivates growth-oriented farm and food storytellers. We host a mastermind mentoring group that fosters connection and collaboration between podcasters so you no longer have to produce your show within a silo. Each month in our member-only online community, new learning modules are released that are designed to increase your show's quality, listenership, and advertising opportunities. When you join today, you'll have access to the current month's modules and our previously released modules so you can start growing your show right away. Learn more and start building connections to fellow podcasters in the food and agriculture space at PositivelyFarmingMedia.com. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Abigail Sickler. Abby is a proud fifth-generation farmer, growing both her family and their dreams on the same ground that her family before her did. As a lifelong Salem County resident, agriculture has always been a foundation in Abby's life. Even when life was pulling her in different directions, she knew that it was part of her that she could never truly give up. From the impulse decision to raise pasture-raised poultry to taking the opportunity of a lifetime to reopen a landmark produce market, Abby is far from afraid of a challenge. And you will definitely hear all of that in today's episode with Abby. She is a woman on a mission to bring good food to good people in the New Jersey area. Before we get to today's episode with Abby, I want to remind you to be sure to hit that follow button wherever it is that you are listening to the Rural Woman podcast, whether that be Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean. There are so many different platforms that the Rural Woman podcast is available on. And it would mean so much to me if you hit that follow button for when new episodes of the Rural Woman podcast come out, they download directly to your phone. That way you can be sure that you do not miss a single episode. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Abby. Hello, Abby. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. I am excited to get to know you better and to know your story and to be able to share that with my audience. I'm excited to share it. For my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, give us your background and how you got your start in agriculture. So my name is Abigail Sickler, and I have a little bit of a different background, I think, than most people in agriculture to a certain degree. I was raised around the farm, but not on it. Our farm was actually eight minutes away from where I grew up. So the farm, at one point or another, it was sold out of the family. And my family actually continued to rent the ground and to farm it and use the buildings, but they didn't actually own it. And when I was, 
I believe was in high school, my stepfather and mom got the chance to actually purchase the farm back, which is crazy to think about because it doesn't happen very much in agriculture. Usually when a farm is sold off, it is gone forever. But the person that they had sold it to, I think, had bigger plans for our family. And his you know, goal was that it ended up back in our family. So when he was getting older and it was evident that his time was coming to an end, he made sure that the farm was offered back to our family first. And my stepfather and my mom purchased the farm back, which was a really, I just think, heartwarming experience for our entire family because I'm not sure that anyone ever thought that it was going to be back in their own hands. And I watched my stepfather pretty much build it back up to what it is today. And then I went away to college and I studied agriculture at the West Virginia University in Morgantown, West Virginia, which was about five hours away from my house and was a big move for this small town girl who had never been away from home. And I moved to West Virginia and studied agriculture, which I loved every minute of. But when I came home, I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. It was a relatively small farm. It was already paying a couple salaries and supporting two families. So I wasn't, you know, really sure that I had a place there. And I got a job, a town job, as some people would call it. And I ended up meeting my now husband, which I knew him in high school, but we didn't get together until my senior year of college. And I met my now husband, who was also a farmer. Him and his brother had recently purchased their own farm, and they were raising beef cattle, selling directly to consumer, as well as doing some grain farming. And him and I both kind of had this passion for regenerative agriculture and found each other, and the rest is history. We ended up buying my family's farm in 2019 of April. We actually bought it the same month that we got married, and we've been there ever since and, you know, building our business, and we now raise pastured poultry and beef, and we're getting ready to open a farmer's market. That is Amazing. Yeah, that was a really long-winded explanation. (laughs) That's the perfect way to describe what we're going to talk about because all of these things are so great and we're going to break all of these things down. So it's good that it was (laughs) long-winded. I had to catch my breath after that one. Yeah. (laughs) Well, like you said previously, like it's not very often that families get to buy back their generational farm and how lucky are you and your family that the person who purchased this, your neighbor, was all along wanting to bring that farm back to your family. So that is so great and so good. I want to talk more about the generations that have been on your farm. So you yourself are a fifth generation farmer. So take us back five generations and how did your family get started farming? We can go way back, obviously, with five generations. And, you know, they kind of had their hand in everything at one point in time because back then farmers, they tried everything, you know, they were supporting their family and their community. So there was everything from dairy to vegetable growing to grain growing, you know, raising their own meats and things like that. But as time went on, it did eventually 
turn more into a grain operation. However, I guess it would be two, three generations before me. No, two generations before me. There was the opportunity to raise laying hens, and we actually have a 500-foot chicken house on our farm, which we don't use for chickens today, but it's still standing. And my pop-up loves telling stories about his days on the farms with the chickens and, you know, walking every morning to get the eggs, the length of the barn, and all of the fun things that he got to do and that, you know, my stepfather got to do as a kid. And then eventually they stopped raising the chickens. I forget what year exactly it was, but they're really... There was a lapse in the market for them, and it wasn't worth it economically to continue, and they stopped raising layers. So the chickens left the farm, and it became nothing but a grain operation. My stepdad grew everything from corn to soybeans, wheat, sorghum, and then time passes by, and my husband and I purchased the farm. So we're the current generation, and then we have two boys who are the sixth generation to be on the farm. And... We still do grain farming. However, we have really gotten our hands into pasture-raised meats, and that has been our primary focus for the last year. And we've got pastured eggs. We have pastured poultry. Our beef cattle is also raised on pasture, and starting in the spring, we'll be raising some hogs on pasture as well. That is very neat. So what made you and your husband decide to kind of switch gears and do more of the pastured raised meat route versus specifically focusing on the grain production? Well, for one thing, the grain market is not the best. Anyone who's a farmer, I'm sure, can relate to, you know, the constant fluctuating prices of things like corn and soybeans. And you just never know what kind of year you're going to have. So we really wanted to supplement that income from the farm. And he had a really strong background in raising cattle. He grew up on a dairy farm. And like I said, him and his brother started a beef operation. So we knew that we had, you know, the beef part kind of down pat and that we could probably do that pretty easily. However, we didn't really have a great setup for it at our new farm. And we were kind of brainstorming and we started talking about chickens one night and we just kind of went down this rabbit hole on YouTube, you know, so easy to do. And we went down this rabbit hole and the more we watched, the more we were like, we have the perfect setup for this. And we talked about it. And in about a week's time frame, we decided we're going for it. And we kind of plunged right into it. We ordered chicks before we even had our chicken tractors made. So it was all very, very quick. And we, you know, people call us crazy because we just jumped right into it. But we haven't looked back since and it's been a huge success. So we are just continuing to grow. That is very neat. And you're obviously adding different breeds and different livestock to this operation. Tell us like, what have been some of the biggest learning curves for you? You obviously have been doing this a short amount of time. And like you said, you jumped in really quick. So I'm assuming that there has been some challenges and some learning curves along the way. Of course, there always are. We got really lucky with our first batch of chickens. We, you know, had a great 
mortality rate, which that sounds backwards to say, but we lost very few birds our first batch and, you know, we sold them all right away. We weren't sitting on any. We knew that we were onto something good and we processed them all ourselves right on the farm and we had a really good experience. But come the second batch, and we were raising about 250 birds at a time last year. And come the second batch, I was pregnant with our second son. It was hurricaning outside on processing day. And we had lost a lot of birds because there had been so much rain that they were getting wet. And it was pouring rain. Hurricane was rolling through. It was cold. And like I said, I was pregnant and I was really sick. And I was so sick that I could not process the birds that day. And my husband, bless him, and all of our help that we had were stranded themselves while I laid in bed. So that was not a great experience. And then the last thing that happened, I believe it was our fifth batch. We got a little greedy because we were doing so well with it that we decided, you know, our customers are begging for it. Let's add another batch. Let's do it. You know, the weather's still nice. Why not? And we received that batch of birds. I think it was the very last week of September when we received our chicks. And they did really good for the first two weeks in the barn. You know, we didn't lose any. And by the time that we were processing them, we had lost almost 50 birds because it had gotten so cold and it was really wet. And, they're, you know, they're not made to survive those kinds of temperatures outside in the chicken tractors. So... It was a big learning curve as far as, you know, we we didn't lose money necessarily on the batch, but we definitely didn't make it either. And we realized there is a season when it comes to poultry growing and when you're doing it on pasture, especially in the mid-Atlantic where we do have four seasons and it was way too cold and we shouldn't have done it, but we did it anyway. And now we know for this year that our last batch will be available in October not November. Right. Well, tell us more about your seasons and your growing seasons out on the East Coast and what typically it looks like for you guys. So we are in South Jersey. Our farm is actually in Cumberland County, New Jersey, and it is the very bottom of the state on the west side. So we are about 15 minutes away from Delaware, which is a big, I think, common misconception when people think of New Jersey, they think of like New York City. And where I live is the complete opposite. Very, very rural, small towns. And our seasons, like I said, we have four. The spring normally starts, you know, the warmer weather somewhere by the end of March. And by June, it's really heating up. And then, you know, beginning of September, October, it starts to cool back down for harvest season. And then our winters, they're not normally very harsh. We get a few snowstorms, but nothing crazy. It's not like Canada. We did just get some snow this week, but it's only a few inches. So we can usually have everything harvested by December. And then, you know, come April, we're planting again. The chickens, though, we are raising The chicks come in March. However, they get moved out to pasture at the end of March. So when it's starting to warm up a little more, 
and we raise them on a six-week rotation until this year our last batch will be processed in October. So during the warm months is when we like to raise our birds. We could do it all year long, but then they wouldn't be on pasture. They would be in a house, and that kind of defeats the entire purpose of pasture-raised poultry. Absolutely. And what breed did you guys choose to raise on pasture for your poultry? We raise Cornish cross broilers. Like I said, we do them on a six-week rotation of about 300 birds. The Cornish cross, for people that aren't familiar, they're a cross between Cornish and Plymouth Rock chickens, and they reach table weight in about eight weeks. So basically, the benefit is that they don't take very long to reach table weight. We average usually over seven pounds in our batches for chickens, so they're more like a turkey by the time that we're processing them. So it's not a super long turnaround period like it would be for a steer, but the major difference with how we run our operation and, you know, some larger scale operations is that a lot of the large scale farms are only raising their chickens to about five or six weeks for what you're buying in the grocery store, whereas we're raising them for the full eight weeks and really letting them get to their full potential before processing. Very good. For your steers or for your cattle, how long do you typically raise them for? Anywhere from 18 to 24 months, you know, depending on the genetics and how long it takes them to fatten out on the pasture, it varies. We normally shoot for somewhere in the 24-month range, but it obviously doesn't always happen that way. Right. Yeah. In the best laid plans, right? (laughs) Correct. Yes. (laughs) When we map it all out, it's somewhere in that range. But we have two steers right now who, for whatever given reason with their genetics, are not fattening out the way that they should be. So they'll be a little bit older by the time they get to the butcher. Right. They just want to live their best lives. Yeah, exactly. Just extend it for a little bit longer. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, that's great. Caitlin Dubin, the host of the Rural Woman podcast, and Bev Ross, host of the Joy Farmer podcast, have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media. Positively Farming Media is a podcast hub that connects and cultivates growth-oriented farm and food storytellers. We host a mastermind mentoring group that fosters connection and collaboration between podcasters, so you no longer have to produce your show within a silo. Each month in our member-only online community, new learning modules are released that are designed to increase your show's quality, listenership, and advertising opportunities. We also host two live calls every month so members can come together to collaborate, discuss what they've learned, and share new ideas. When you join today, you'll have access to the current month's modules and previously released modules so you can start growing your show right away. Positively Farming Media is committed to supporting and amplifying the voices of BIPOC farmers and podcasters. BIPOC members of Positively Farming Media Mastermind will have their membership fees waived indefinitely as a benefit in kind. Learn more and start building connections to fellow podcasters in the food and agriculture space at PositivelyFarmingMedia.com. So 
So you mentioned that you and your husband kind of went down the University of YouTube world of learning more about pasture-raised meats. Do you have anyone in mind that you would like to share with our listeners of who has been the biggest help in either being an online resource or a personal resource that you have that has really helped you out in this process? Sure. Polyface Farm has been a huge, huge resource for us. They're located in Virginia, and he is a huge advocate for regenerative agriculture and sustainable farming. And he has wrote the book when it comes to making the most out of your land. And he has created this complete agritourism establishment and business place, but he also continues to run a very successful farm and he rotates everything from steers down to chickens on his ground. And he provides a lot of great information as far as, you know, how each animal benefits the ground and also the amount of time that you should be grazing these animals and rotating them and The crazy part of it all is, is how little acreage you can really create a very successful pastured meat business on, you know, 10 acres, which we have more than that. Like I said, we do still run a grain operation, but where we raise our pastured poultry is only about six acres. Right. Well, and like you said, that small of acreage to be able to produce that amount of food is always an incredible thing, right? People think that you have to have these large farming operations in order to produce a lot of food. But in reality, if you do it correctly, or if you do it smart, then you're able to do it in a smaller area. Yeah. So you can actually raise about a thousand chickens on a six acre plot. You don't let them have access to the full six acres at a time. But if you rotate them on a 72-day rotation across the six acres, you can raise a ton of poultry on a very small piece of ground. Tell us what about regenerative agriculture was so important to you and your husband to kind of adapt and change your farm to where it is today. So I think what it really comes down to for me is that my stepdad had always practiced no-till farming from the time that he purchased back the farm until we purchased it from them. And I really learned a lot from him as far as, you know, what cover crops to plant and, you know, less is more when it comes to environmental impact and how to rotate your field. And I went away to school at West Virginia University. And while majoring in agriculture, I was really introduced to the livestock end of it, which I hadn't experienced at the home farm. And I learned so much as far as what livestock could do to your rotation when it comes to no-till farming. And I kind of fell in love with it from being on the university farm to just the classes that I was taking. I absolutely adored being around the animals and learning more about them. So I kind of dove into it and started thinking about ways that I could bring that to the home farm, which I always dreamed of eventually owning. I didn't think that I would be buying it at 25 years old, but I always dreamed of one day having it for my own. And 
I was already planning these things in my head of what I could do once it was mine to, you know, increase the soil nutrients and to keep giving back to the environment. And everyone at school thought I was this, you know, hippie. But really, I I don't know that I was such a hippie. It was just more so that I wanted to make the most money possible off of this ground. And I think that's what sometimes people neglect to realize is that your acres, they don't have to be just grain acres. You can do so much more with that in the off months, in the off season to make money. And through going to ag school, I kind of learned more about, you know, the science-based marketing versus what definitions you're reading on the USDA website. And pasture forage is a direct and very significant way to improve the nutritional profile of the birds, but also the grasses and the clover that are in those fields that they're consuming. So I really just dove into that and I wanted to learn everything there possibly was to learn. And then, of course, I met my husband who shared a wealth of knowledge as well from his own experiences. Right. Well, and like you said, between your experience going to university and having experience on your farm and then having your husband come in with his wealth of knowledge in different areas. It always just, it's always great to have a dream team come together and figure out how to make these initiatives work on your farm. Yeah, working with your spouse is always interesting, as I'm sure that you can relate. But I'd like to say we complement each other pretty well. Right. (laughs) For me, I would say the same for the most part. (laughs) We could do a whole other podcast episode. (laughs) It depends on the day. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. So I want to talk more about the acreage that you're currently rotationally grazing. What are some of the changes that you guys have seen since starting doing this rotational grazing on these six acres? I wish I had the soil samples in front of us, but To put it into perspective, the ground that we originally started rotating these birds on was kind of wasted space on the farm. I don't know if everyone in my family would agree with that, but i that's how I feel about it. It was pasture field that was behind the chicken house, and it was only about an acre of, you know, where we started these birds. And it was just grass, you know, nothing crazy back there as far as content. But if anyone chooses to follow me on Instagram when this is all over, there's a lot of photos that show exactly what I'm about to talk about and tell you. But basically, the birds are taking in the forage and getting all of the benefits like the omega-3s and the healthy fatty acids that they're breaking down and putting into the meat. But they're also putting the nutrients directly back into the ground through natural fertilizer. So we move our birds every single day, uh, sometimes twice a day once they are getting larger and eating more. Um, But we move their chicken tractors every single day. And when you move the tractor, it really looks like the ground's depleted almost, even though you're doing it every day because the birds are stomping it down and there's all of the manure. However, In just a six-week rotation of when these birds were passing over the ground, the amount of lush grass that was 
popping back up and just full of clover, red clover specifically, in a very, very short amount of time, we were seeing the direct impacts on the ground really quickly. So over time, we've expanded the space that we are grazing our birds on because you don't want to overgraze them when it comes to those fertilizers. You don't want to put too much nitrogen and things like that back into the ground. But we are grazing them. Essentially, the acres that we're touching are getting touched about three times a year. It's so amazing to me that these little animals, like a chicken, can impact the soil and the soil health so much. And it's crazy to see just in that short amount of time all of the work that they can do themselves versus having to use any inputs or chemical inputs. Yeah, we did not plant any seed. We did not spray any type of fertilizer or pesticide. Like when we say all natural, you know, we don't have that organic stamp. But I think really the way that we raise our birds and the way that we show that we raise our birds, because we try to, you know, make it as clear as possible to people that they're really, they're more natural than, you know, the USDA guidelines in regards to what is organic or what is free range or what is pastured. And I think our operation is a really good depiction of what a chicken should be like, you know, on the plate. So tell us more about the future plans for Hidden Creek Farm. So we had a lot of really exciting things happen pretty quickly. Right after we had purchased our farm, there was an old farm market that was about 1.6 miles up the road from our house that was in operation for a really long time and they had closed down and the building sat vacant. And every time we would drive by it, my husband and I would just say like, I really wish someone would do something with that building. And, you know, the community really misses this. The community needs this. And we kept talking about, you know, this pipeline dream of one day opening it back up. And one day we were talking about it and I just said, why don't we find out who owns it? And I found out, I hunted this man down. He lives in a different state. He doesn't even live in New Jersey. And I hunted this man down and I said, my husband and I want to buy your stand. And he was not open to selling it, but he was open to leasing it. But we were in the middle of building a house. I was due with a baby in October and the opportunity was there, but the timing, it just wasn't. And we let it go. And, you know, we left it all on good terms with the property owner. And about a year later, we started talking about it again. And we just said, you know, I feel like the time is right. I feel like this is our, God wants us to have this. We drive by it every single day and it continues to sit and Nobody's doing anything with it. And I think that, you know, that's just our sign that it's it's time. And whether or not it was time or not, I'm not really sure. I was due with our second baby. We have two under two, which some people would say, why on earth would you want to start another business when you have two boys under two years old? But we just felt in our hearts that it was time. And I reached back out to the owner of the property This was in the beginning of November, and he said, well, I'm in Florida, but 
I'll be back the first week of December. Would you like to meet up? And we said yes. And by the end of December, we had our lease signed and we were full bore into renovating this property, obviously from sitting vacant for so long, it needed a lot of cleaning up and just TLC. So we have been working on that for the last two months. And we had these dreams of being able to provide a safe and local place for the community to come and buy local food not just ours, but from other farmers as well. That was our entire business plan. And we are reaching those goals. We're hoping, knock on wood, I better find some. We're hoping to open in April of 2021. We are waiting on some approvals, but as long as everything goes through, we'll be open this spring and we're very excited. We'll be bringing everything from our own beef and poultry We are doing vegetable starters and flower starters in our greenhouses, and we will have some local farmers providing produce for us, as well as our own eggs, and we'll be bringing in glass-bottled milk. We'll have chickens right there at the market for everybody to ooh and ah over, and maybe some goats. You know, maybe you can help me out with that (laughs) one day and teach me all about goats, so... We are just running full speed ahead, and we're very excited to get open. Abby, that is all so exciting, and I'm so happy that you guys followed through on these thoughts and these dreams that you had while you were driving past this farm stand, because I think what happens so often is we have these big dreams and we have these big goals, but until you take those first little steps, like even finding out who owned this farm stand, it's always just a wish or a want in the back of your head. And good for you guys for going forward and bringing this to your community, because I'm sure that your community will be so excited once this comes open and it comes time to start purchasing the local products from your from your new market. Yeah, we weren't really sure, you know, what kind of response we are going to have from the community. You know, my husband and I are both lifelong Salem County residents, and we know a lot of people in the area, but you just never know how people are going to take it, especially when it was such a landmark produce stand. It was one of those things in the back of our minds, like, can we ever compare to what it once was? And just the support and the love from the community that we've received in these last two months since people have been finding out and, you know, kind of following our journey on social media has been so overwhelmingly warm. And I think that really is what is pushing us to get the doors open as soon as possible and start educating people on the food that they're consuming. Cause I think that's really where we're lacking as a society is the education piece of it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm so excited to follow this journey for you and be your biggest cheerleader from Canada for your market. (laughs) Yes, I love that. I'll come to you with all of my goat questions. And if I ever want to you know, run a cat ranch, I'll be in touch. I am your number one supporter for both of those things. (laughs) My husband, maybe not so much, but we might be able to convince him. They come around eventually. (laughs) (laughs) 
he knows he doesn't really have a choice when I have my heart set on these things. Right, exactly, exactly. Oh, Abby, it has been so great getting to know you this morning, and I'm so happy that you're able to come on and share your story with us. My last question for you is, what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Oh, that's so tough. But I think the most rewarding part of being a farmer is that when we have customers purchase pasture-raised poultry for the first time, they never had it before. They're used to shopping at the local supermarket to pick up their meat and they try ours and we're instantly getting emails from them saying, you know, well, we never want to buy supermarket chicken ever again. And it's so reassuring to us that it does make a difference. And we are making a difference in not only educating people on all of the benefits of eating pastured meat, but also knowing that people want to support us and our family as much as possible. And it's been a really humbling experience knowing that we can raise a thousand birds and, you know, we're selling out of them with no problem at all because people have seen firsthand the advantages of what we're doing. That is so great. And it's so great that you are providing such great service and great food to your customers. And I can't wait to continue to follow and see all of the great things that you guys do in the coming years with that. So for the listeners who would like to connect with you online after the show, where can they find you? So the best place to find me is probably on Instagram. My handle is hiddencreek.farm and it'll come up Abigail Sickler. We're also on Facebook at Hidden Creek Farm, New Jersey. And our website is www.hiddencreekfarmnj.com. And there I try to sometimes keep current. My website is not my strong suit, but I try to post recipes and kind of, you know, what's going on around the farm. But hands down, Instagram is the most informative and most active place to find me at hiddencreek.farm. Perfect. And I will link all of those in the show notes so the listeners can find you and connect with you. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Yeah, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. It was an honor. I swear I manifested it because every time I would listen to a podcast, I would say, I'm going to be on this one day. (laughs) That's so good. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.